Hello, this is Dean Hess, Managing Editor of Respiratory Care. We are pleased that the August podcast is sponsored by Massimo. This is an introduction to Massimo Nasal High Flow Therapy. Soft flow provides warmed and humidified respiratory gases through a soft nasal cannula to spontaneously breathing patients with respiratory distress and other pulmonary conditions. Equipped with an advanced integrated flow generator that delivers consistent flow during inspiration and expiration, soft flow is designed to enhance therapy benefits while eliminating the need to connect to an external source of compressed air. Visit Massimo.com forward slash softflow to learn more. And now I turn the program over to the Editor-in-Chief for this month's podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Respiratory Care Editor's Commentary podcast for August 2021. This is Rich Branson. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Respiratory Care. This month's Editor's Choice is a paper by Miller and colleagues from Duke University describing a program to increase research publications by respiratory therapists following abstract presentation. They developed a research committee with approval of projects and mentorship in study design. Following implementation, the number of abstracts presented fell, but the number of manuscripts published increased over twofold. They attribute the outcome to better preparation and mentoring of investigators. Branson and Calais provide comment on the importance of such programs and the need for advanced training and research for respiratory therapists. Under normal circumstances, the knowledge to conduct research is developed in a graduate degree program. As many respiratory therapists enter the profession with undergraduate degrees, this type of mentorship is critical for the future growth of respiratory care research. Lauterbaugh and coworkers evaluated the Braden Q and Braden QD scoring tool to identify risk of pressure injuries in children receiving non-invasive ventilation. This retrospective trial evaluated medical records of 45 pediatric subjects using a dichotomized score risk versus no risk. The analysis suggests that the Braden QD tool would have been a better predictor of pressure injury risk. Miura and Kawagachi provide an accompanying editorial commenting on the limitations of the retrospective trial, and such a trial has the inability to determine the specificity of the Braden score, either the Q or the QD. They also highlight the importance of inter-rater agreement and the need for future trials with clinically important outcomes that are collected prospectively. Gates et al. evaluated the use of high-flow nasal cannula coupled with aerosol therapy in children with asthma. They retrospectively reviewed 171 cases with 104 subjects receiving aerosol therapy via high-flow nasal cannula and 67 receiving aerosol therapy by face mask with concomitant high-flow nasal cannula. There were no differences between groups related to ICU or hospital length of stay. They concluded that delivery of aerosol via high-flow nasal cannula was equivalent to therapy via face mask. Napolitano provides commentary, noting the limitations of the retrospective nature of the trial and suggests that escalation to NIV might be a more sensitive metric for comparing the two techniques. Nicola and others retrospectively reviewed changes in the use of non-invasive respiratory support and critically ill children from 17 pediatric ICUs over a 10-year period. Um, like a lot of studies that we see now, these are uh, might be considered big data. Use of invasive ventilation fell by almost 20%, and the use of non-invasive support increased by almost 30%. In 2017, the use of non-invasive support, including 
hypho-nasal cannula and non-invasive ventilation exceeded invasive ventilation use in this population. Carter and colleagues performed a bench evaluation of a system provide inhaled nitric oxide via transport ventilator during magnetic resonance imaging. The system was capable of delivering inhaled nitric oxide of 12 to 41 parts per million and an FiO2 of 67 to 97%. They developed a lookup table for approximating the values during transport. Tria Sabria et al. performed a prospective study of 36 patients using ultrasound score to evaluate the severity of lung injury in COVID-19. Significant correlations were observed between the lung and ultrasound score and the SpO2 FiO2 ratio, D-dimer, C-reactive protein, lactic dehydrogenase, and lymphocyte count. They concluded that the lung ultrasound score greater than 24 points can help identify COVID-19 subjects likely to require ICU admission or die, and that the lung ultrasound score correlated with other markers of COVID-19 severity. The role of ultrasound in intensive care and its use by respiratory therapists is only going to increase over the next few years. Janssen and co-workers evaluated a pulmonary rehabilitation program in subjects with obstructive lung disease. This observational trial evaluated 70 subjects with the primary endpoint defined as changes in self-management. They compared subject response using a number of questionnaires to measure health literacy and self-efficacy. The largest improvements were seen in domains related to self-management. Um, as we emerge from COVID-19, however, the use of telemedicine for rehabilitation seems to be a technique that's probably going to only continue to grow. Haverkamp and others retrospectively evaluated the spirometric response to bronchodilator delivery and voluntary hyperpnea in adults with asthma. They evaluated data from 39 volunteers and found that there was a poor association between response to bronchodilators and methicoline responsiveness. The authors suggest that bronchodilator response should be interpreted with caution owing to limitations in confounders. Subat et al. measured aerosol generation during peak flow testing to help inform safety in the area, era of COVID-19. They measured ambient particles in the laboratory during mask and unmasked peak expiratory flow measurements from five healthy volunteers. Aerosol generation during peak, peak flow testing was present, but concentrations were small compared to background particle concentrations in a clinical setting. Erner and others evaluated the use of mental practice before simulation practice to determine the impact on individuals training to perform bronchoscopy. They evaluated 24 trainees, including physicians and respiratory therapists, participating in a bronchoscopy curriculum. Trainees who participated in a mental practice had reduced incidence of red outs, red outs being a time when they're looking in the simulator and don't know where they're at. They concluded that an intervention including mental practice exercises was a valuable learning strategy, promoting the performance and skill acquisition of novice learners learning bronchoscopy procedures. Amaru and colleagues performed a randomized trial of recruitment maneuvers and two levels of PEEP following cardiothoracic surgery in 192 obese subjects. Post-operatively subjects were randomized to volume control ventilation and five centimeters of PEEP or, or to a recruitment maneuver and 10 centimeters of PEEP. The primary outcome was a composite of reintubation or use of high flow nasal cannula or non-invasive ventilation in the first 48 hours. They concluded that the routine recruitment maneuvers followed by 10 or five centimeters of PEEP did not decrease the frequency of respiratory failure in obese patients undergoing cardiac surgery. 
Quakish and Berlinski evaluated the effect of shake actuation delay on delivered dose from albuterol pressurized meter dose inhalers on, in a bench study. They compared a pre pressurized meter dose inhaler with and without a 30 second delay between shaking of the canister and actuation with and without a valve holding chamber. They report that the 30 second delay reduced the dose at the beginning and the end of the life of the metered dose inhaler. Andrade, Filho, and others evaluated the indices of oxygenation, including PAO2-FIO2 ratio, SPO2-FIO ratio, and the ROX index, which is SPO2 to FIO2 ratio divided by breathing frequency, to predict extubation failure in subjects with COVID-19. They prospectively evaluated 69 subjects and found no differences in the median values for oxygenation indices and that both, both SpO2 FiO2 ratio and ROCs were good discriminators of extubation failure in this population. Um, this data kind of makes sense as half of the ROC score comes from the SF ratio. Musaki and coworkers contribute a narrative review of non-invasive ventilation use in subjects with cystic fibrosis. They conclude that non-invasive ventilation use in CF has been increasing mainly in adult CF centers, offering patients an opportunity to reach lung transplantation or to treat acute hyper hypercapnic respiratory failure. Meyer and colleagues contribute to the New Horizons Symposium with a review of intraoperative ventilation in the high-risk surgical patient. Rich Calais provides an encyclopedic year in review of mechanical ventilation in the first year of COVID-19. The sheer volume of literature in such a short time frame detailing treatment for the worst pandemic of our lifetime is daunting. I think all of us will be happy to have this paper to refer to, um, if for no other reason, just simply to be in awe of the number of papers that have been written um, in the 18 months since this pandemic began. We appreciate your support of the journal and your listening to the Restoration Care podcast, and we look forward to speaking with you again. Thank you. To receive the content of this and past issues of the journal, visit our website at www.rcjournal.com. There you can also subscribe to receive podcasts of future issues.